we're going to have a couple songs, and then we're going to go out in the lobby, and we've got some food on tables, and we invite you to stay, even if you didn't bring any food. Just go get in the line once we leave here. First people out the door, okay? And uh, just go on and get in line and get your food and go back and sit down and eat. We'll just visit for a while and we'll have a dunk party. And uh, we're supposed to have five people going to be baptized. Five people 18 years or older is going to be here to be baptized. This week, one of them told me they was told they had to work today. And uh, they couldn't change that. They tried to see if somebody changed with them. And then this morning, just before I came at 9, I got a call. And one of them is throwing up, and we just didn't think that'd be good in the water, uh, okay? So uh, I told them, in the spring, we'll do another dunk party, and they can be baptized then. So we got three adults we're going to baptize this morning. I'm going to give you an invitation to be baptized if you've never done that. And so you listen to my sermon, you listen to God. You've come this morning, and truly what that song says, we want you to just trade your pain. Trade your sorrows, whatever they are in this world, for the joy of the Lord. And we experience His joy from what His Word tells us and from what His Son Jesus does in our life. And so I would invite you, let's just trade our pain and our sorrows this morning and let's just trade it in for the joy of the Lord in this experience, okay? Would you bow with me as I pray? Father, I thank You for this morning, this experience, this time. I thank You for these people. God, I thank You for Your Spirit that is real. We know He's real. We have seen Him move within our lives. We have heard His voice as He spoke to our mind. And God, we thank You for that. And we thank You that whatever is out there, that God, this morning, as we listen to You, we can find Your joy And then when we move back into out there, we can take that joy with us that brings us hope, not sorrow. God, we just pray this morning that You help us to hear what it is You have for us now. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. A young man once asked me, uh, he was in college, and he said, and, and, and he was very rebellious, okay? And he had been rebellious toward his parents, and, uh, and I had met him, and over a period of time, he, he began talking to me. Sometimes people don't talk to pastors, preachers. Uh, I guess we intimidate, in a sense, sometimes maybe, or maybe in their mind they just think that. But Sam and I had developed a relationship, and Sam just said to me quite blank, or quite forwardly, and, and, and I want people to do that. You can't deal with people if they won't be truthful. And Sam just said, Mike... What in the world has God ever done for me? Now, I could tell you about Sam's family. I could tell you about his situation. And you might say, poor Sam. And Sam was asking a very serious question. What in the world has God ever done for me? And maybe you've asked that question. You went through a period of time and you just wondered, what has God done, ever done for me? Okay? Because you see, your eyes, your perspective focuses only on a situation or a certain time period, and it doesn't look at God's larger picture. And so I thought about that. What has God done for you and me? And I began trying to find some of those answers out there that might help people just get them to start seeing what God has done. And what I want to share with you is what a scientist came up with many years ago. 
This scientist, A. Cressy Morrison, Abraham Cressy Morrison, wrote an article called Seven Reasons Why I Believe in God. This Ph.D. chemist, very intelligent man, described in that article why he, as a man of knowledge, a man of intelligence, a man of science, would believe in God. And I want to share some of what he said. If you've got your your worship handout, there's a page for notes. And I'm going to give you those seven reasons that he began that article with. He even went so much further than that. But seven things that he called attention to. Okay? Look at the first blank there. He said, consider the rotation of the earth. And you might want to write that down, and you might want to think about that this week. See, most of us don't think about the rotation of the earth. We live life. But this scientist, trying to write an intellectual, knowledgeable argument to people who say, what has God ever done for me? Took the perspective of his knowledge and his training, and he said, one of the things that causes me to believe in God is the rotation of the earth. He said the earth spins on its axis 1,000 miles per hour. Can you imagine that? You getting dizzy? 1,000 miles per hour. He said, if it, if it was only 100 miles per hour, our days would be 10 times as long and our nights would be 10 times as long. And he said, what would happen? We would either roast to death in the long day from the heat of the sun, or we would freeze to death from the long nights. And he says, the rotation of the earth causes me to believe in a God. Look at number two. He said, consider the slant of the earth. He said the earth tilts at just 23 degrees. 23 degrees. Any of you sort of leaning now? I'll stand like this for a little while and I'll just tell you the slant's getting to me. He said if it was off just one degree, one degree, he said what it would do is that it would cause this world, this globe, the landmass to be iced over with a vapor that would keep us from existing. Just one degree. Look at number three. He said, consider the heat of the sun. The heat of the sun. He said it's 12,000 degrees. He said if it, was, if it was twice as much more, 50% more, half as much more, that's what he said, if it's half as much more, it would just burn us alive. He said if it's half as less, we couldn't exist because we'd freeze. Look at number four. He said, consider the crust of the earth. He said, if the earth was just a few feet, if the crust of the earth was just a few feet thicker, it would create problems with our oxygen and our carbon dioxide that vegetation could not exist. Hence, we would not exist. Look at number five. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm telling you, this is what a scientist thinks about. And other scientists will read it. And it won't cause them to see God. I'm going to talk about that a little bit from some words Jesus says. Number five, consider the distance of the moon 
away from the earth. He said if the moon, I think it's like, it depends. You know, the moon doesn't go in a circle around the earth. It goes in, sometimes it's closer, sometimes it's farther. So it's around 250,000 miles, if I'm not mistaken. He didn't write that. I, I try to check all this out. But if the moon was just 50,000 miles away from the earth, which would be a long way, he said what would happen is what we saw, what we heard about happening in the Philippines with the, the typhoon. Now, he didn't say that. That's me interjecting. He said what would happen is twice a day, because the moon affects our tides, if it was just 50,000 miles instead of its present distance, twice a day, every bit of land mass would be covered with water. We couldn't live. We couldn't live. Look at number six. He said, consider the depth of the ocean. He said, if the ocean was just a few feet difference from what it is, it would hinder our oxygen. And again, vegetation would not exist. And because that wouldn't exist, you and I wouldn't get the nutrients, and we would not continue to exist. And number seven, he said, consider the thinness of the atmosphere. He said, if the atmosphere was just a little bit thinner, the millions of meteors that burn themselves out as they seek to enter our atmosphere, today, we're hearing, because you see, people always got to find a reason to create us to feel hopeless and uncertain. And people are, are talking about meteors going to come in, going to hit us somewhere in populated areas. He said if the atmosphere was a little bit thinner, the millions of meteorite, the meteors that burn themselves up would not burn themselves up and they would literally plummet us, bombard us out of existence. He said these are the reasons why I, a scientist, believe in God. Now that's way beyond me, say. But here's a guy, a PhD chemist, who is trying to help us understand. When he looks, and if you read the article, it's much deeper than what I've talked about. Trying to help us understand from a scientific viewpoint why he believes in God. You see, our world doesn't want us to believe in God. Our world wants to tell us that any intellectual person would realize what we've been told about creation is not true. You see, because this world doesn't want to face that God is real. Because if He's real, then there is some accountability. Millions of dollars are spent to produce movies and, and shows that would make us think something else other than God calls this world to occur, to come about, to happen. You see, to just assume, now listen to me, to just assume a well-ordered, precisioned world just happened to come about without intelligent design takes more faith than to believe in intelligent design. And I have said before, I one day, in the community I came from, before I came to Mount Vernon, in 8th grade, the students could have their parents 
spend the day in school and the student could spend their day out of school. Hated that. What adult came up with that great idea? No intelligence in that adult. Well, I'm just kidding. But I sat in a science class and it was on the theory of evolution and the development of the species and the human species in particular. And that 8th grade teacher who was not a believer, I know the man, he told the students, we still can't find the missing link between the development as he was going into the human experience. And he said this, but by faith we believe it exists. Faith. You see, that's why it's called theories. Because you see, there are not enough facts to conclusively say this is the only way we came about in the ways that are presented. You see, when you say there's a God, then there becomes an accountability. When you say there is intelligent design, then you have to say, well, if there is something intelligent that designed us, designed creation for us, and I want you to understand, if we were doing Genesis, I would spend time saying, everything about creation was done for one special created being. That's you and me. Not the animals, not the trees, not the flowers, not the crops. Creation was done for you and me. If you read the first book of Genesis, the Bible says, when God created, everything He created, He spoke it into existence. He said, let there be trees, let there be animals, let there be air, let there be a sun, let there be a moon, let there be, let there be. And He spoke it into creation. But you know, when it came to you and me, the Bible says God took His hands, whatever that means. God took His hands. Somebody says, well, you ought to be able to explain that. If I could explain everything to you about the Creator, then the creature is better than the Creator. He knows more. And He took the dust of the earth and He formed a human. He could have spoke a human in existence. He didn't. Because God is teaching us something as we read through the Bible that He wants a relationship with us. All this other was created for us. We should take care of all this other. But it's not more important than you, the special creation of God. And God took you. And if you read it, and He breathed in to human life. That's how special we are, folks. Everything else, you just said, hey, let's pop it out. Pop, 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 pop. But you and I, He personally became involved. He seeks to to speak to us through the creative process. But folks, also He seeks to speak to us through His Word. That's called His revelation. And also He seeks to speak to us through Jesus Christ. Because we can read a book, but we always can't understand the book. So He gives us the life experience of a man walking on this earth. That was reported. And if, if, if you're new, when we're going through Luke, I try to share with you the validation of the Gospels that talk about Jesus. And so we look at His Word and we look at Jesus and we learn some things about God and what He wants for us. And that's what I want to do this morning before we baptize. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John the third chapter. If you have those New Testaments that we give away that are on the table out there, turn to page 79. John the third chapter, page 79. And I just quickly want to go through these 21 verses because I want to, if I can do anything quickly. Good, some of you have been here. 
But I want to quickly go through these, and I want you to see Jesus' encounter with a religious man of His day. Okay? So look there at the first verse, or look on the screen. There was a man named Nicodemus. So remember, Nick, okay? That's what I'm going to call him. A, Jew, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. Now, now, most Pharisees had an intense, upset attitude toward Jesus. Because you see, Jesus' words would confront them on how they were to live life. And most people like to live life the way they have learned to live life, and they don't want to change. They don't want to change. They don't want to change. And Jesus' words confronted him to change. Now in verse 2 it says, After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. After dark, because it's a Pharisee wouldn't want probably to be caught alone with Jesus. What, what do you, what do you, 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 you're going to become one of his followers? So after dark, he comes to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, that means he calls Jesus teacher. He said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Look, Nicodemus is saying, we know there's something in your life that's different from other people we've heard talk about God. Even the Pharisees, see? And so he's acknowledging, God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. This is an intelligent man coming to Jesus because he sees something in Jesus that he knows is different from what he's hearing from other people. And I'm going to tell you, you have an intelligence. Okay? And God is trying to tell you things about you. You think it's me. God is trying to tell you things about you. If it was me, I wouldn't even talk about the Bible words. There are churches in existence that don't talk about the Bible words. They just talk about philosophy and idealisms. But God wants to take your intelligence and confront it because God wants you to change. Now look at verse 3. Matter of fact, you probably should underline all of verse 3. So anytime you read John 3, you realize this verse is of utmost importance. Because two years from now, you open your Bible and you say, hmm, what's all this mean? And you can look at that underlined verse and you say, it all centers around this. The third verse says, Jesus replied, okay, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't beat around the bush, He gets to it. This guy says, hey, we, we know God has sent you to teach us. And so what are you going to talk to me about? He says, I'm going to tell you what? I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. The only way, listen, the only way to be a part of God's kingdom is to be born again. You can't become a part of God's kingdom by walking into a church. If you could walk into church and become a part of God's kingdom, then walking in the candy store would make you a piece of licorice or a sucker. You catch what I'm saying? You just don't get it because you walk into it. And Jesus says you must be born again. Look, verse 4. He's using his intelligence. He says, what do you mean? What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? You see, he sees what Jesus is saying only from his physical understanding and perspective. And he's saying, wait a minute, I'm a grown man. How can this old man go back into my mom? That's what he's trying to say. Because he only sees things from an earthly viewpoint. And that's what you and I do sometimes. We only see things from our perspective and the earthly viewpoint. And that becomes a barrier. And it is to this guy right now. Verse 5, Jesus replied, I assured you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water. That's physical birth. You can write that right there in your Bible. That's physical birth and spirit. That's spiritual birth. Verse 6 says, humans can reproduce only human life. In other words, physical life can only produce physical life. That which pertains to this world. 
But he says, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. In other words, spiritual life produces spiritual things, things of God. That's what Jesus is trying to tell him. Verse 7, after he says that quickly, he says, so don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. In other words, Nick, don't be surprised that God is trying to tell you the answer that you're searching for. And see, Nick has just said, we know you're a teacher of God. What do I do to have a relationship with God? And he's saying, Nick, don't be surprised what God tells you. I'm going to tell you right now, before I am through preaching, don't be surprised with what God tells you you ought to do. Don't be surprised. That's what Jesus is telling him. People do not enter God's kingdom by living right. They enter God's kingdom by being born again into God's kingdom. You've been born physically, but you have to be born spiritually. That's what Jesus said. I'm not saying that. You want to argue about, I don't like the term born again. I went to a university. I heard people, students argue about, I'm tired of hearing about being born again. Don't argue with me. Argue with Jesus. He's the one that introduced the concept. And he's trying to say, you've been born in this world, you know. Pinch yourself. If you want a relationship with God, you've got to be born into God's world. That's a spiritual thing. Look at 8. So now he's going to use an illustration. He says, well, let me just say something. In your mind, you're arguing with me, Nick. You're saying, I don't understand this. God's beyond my conception. I don't understand. So he says, the wind blows wherever it wants, per se. Just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born in the Spirit. In other words, he's saying, Nick, listen, the wind blows. You don't know where it's coming from, and you don't know where it's going. Now, listen, our problem today is we've got all the weather people, and they say the jet streams and all that, so we say, well, I know where it's coming from. But you see, if you don't watch that, you don't. You just know the wind's real. Because when you're hot, and the breeze blows, you say, whew, that feels good. If you were one of the people trying to keep the leaves off the walkway and you kept blowing and the wind kept blowing them back, you say, ooh, the wind's no good. But you know there's a wind. And that's how it is with spiritual life. If you're born into God's kingdom, you know it's real because you see, you see its effect. Just like you can see the wind. You can't explain the wind. Now, some of you may be going to university to explain weather, but most of us aren't. And you can't explain the wind. And that's what he's telling Nicodemus. But you know it's real. Because you see, if the tree limbs are blowing, bending this way, you say it's coming out of that side. And if they're bending this way, you say it's coming out of that side. And in this case, that'd be it's coming from the north. In that case, it's coming from the south. But you can only tell because of the effect on your life. And that's what being born again is. When you're born in God's kingdom, you know it's real because there's an effect on your life. You don't become perfect. We still struggle with wrong choices. We still struggle with our mistakes and our weaknesses. But we find a joy that God brings to us. And we know this is real. And we can see the evidence in the lives of others. And you see, God gets our attention. He says, you know what? You need what that person's got. See, God is talking. But you say, that's beyond me. But it's not. It's what God does. 
Now look at verse 9. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. See, he's still, I don't understand the wind. I don't understand about being born again. How is all this possible? And right now you might be saying, I'm still confused. And what's great about Jesus, he tries to give us answers we can understand. And he's talking to a Jewish man. So he says, how are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Verse 10, Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher and yet you don't understand these things. In other words, you teach about from the Old Testament? To other Jewish people? And you don't understand what the Old Testament says about me? Nick, you're not listening to God. You're not listening to God because what you teach people talk about me, the Messiah. Believe in me, the Messiah. You see, if you read the Old Testament, it ends with the book of Malachi. And the book of Malachi says God's not going to speak again until He sends Elijah. And for 400 years, there's no written record of God speaking through His prophet that's written down. And then we get the Gospels. Jesus comes. And the person who, who points to Jesus is John the baptizer. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God. He must increase. I must decrease. Follow Him. And Jesus explained to His followers, John the Baptist is the Elijah that has come to proclaim who the Messiah is. And he's saying to Nicodemus, you, you read the Old Testament. You know the Old Testament. And yet you refuse to hear what God is saying to you. And you know what? Some of you are reading the New Testament. You're reading the Bible. And you say, man, that makes sense. That's good stuff. We ought to be honest. We ought to be fair. We ought to forgive. We ought to love our enemies. What kind of world would it be if we were that way? I agree. But you don't know Jesus. And you won't do what Jesus wants you to do. You won't do what God is telling you to do. And that's what He's confronting Nicodemus with. Verse 11, I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. In other words, Jesus is saying, God is seeking to speak to you through me and those other people that are following me. And you refuse to hear it. Yeah, but... You see, it takes a step of faith. To believe what Jesus is saying. Nicodemus has seen the power in his life. He hears the power in his words. And Jesus is saying, you won't believe. You won't take that step of faith. And folks, faith is the way you and I access the grace of God. You can't come to church enough to get the grace of God. You can't be good enough to experience the grace of God. It's through faith in what Jesus has done. Verse 12, But if you don't believe Me when I tell you about earthly things, in other words, Jesus says, John the Baptist was Elijah. Okay, Jesus says, I'm going to die, and in three days, this temple He calls Himself will rise up. He says, you won't believe earthly things. I was born in Bethlehem. People ask me, where did you come from? I said, Nazareth. And you Jews say nothing good can come out of Nazareth. And yet, God has said that's where the Messiah is going to come from. You won't believe these things I show you in the earth. Look, I just spent, I spent time. I thought about not doing that first part. Those seven reasons why I believe in God. I gave you seven scientific reasons of a world that is so well organized, so well ordered in precision, that there had to be intelligent design. But you see, if you won't see it there you probably won't look at Jesus and see Him. And that's what He's telling Nicodemus. 
If I tell you things of the world, of the earth, and you won't believe, how are you going to believe spiritual things, things of God? Verse 12 goes on, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? If I tell you things God wants you to know. God wants you to love your enemies. God wants you to know that your sins could be forgiven. What you did yesterday can be removed from the mind of God. God wants you to know that there's going to be resurrection from the dead. Listen, this world says, I refuse to believe that. He says, God wants you to know that you can one day live with Jesus in a new heaven. That's wishful thinking, this world says. You see, Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, if you won't understand what I'm saying about earthly experiences, how can you even understand spiritual things, heavenly things, things about God? And that's the same for you. You see, until you make that step of faith in who Jesus Christ is and follow Him, you're going to have difficulty understanding more of what God's got to tell you. But He keeps pulling at your intelligence because He cares about you. Look at 13. No one has ever come to heaven and returned but the Son of Man who, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Now listen, folks, if we took time to read the Gospels, Jesus' favorite terminology of Himself is Son of Man. And He's saying, I'm the only one that's come from God. And in Daniel, 600 years before, in the book of Daniel, Daniel prophesied that the Messiah would be like the Son of Man. The One who comes from God. And see, Jesus is trying to connect with Nicodemus. You teach the Old Testament. The Old Testament speaks of Me. The Son of Man is right here in front of you. I am the one who's come from God. That blows us out of the water. That's a step of faith. And he's talking to a religious man that knows the history of God in the Old Testament, but refuses to take the step of faith, apparently, and believe in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He goes on 14, and as Moses lifted up, now listen to this, very important. He's talking to a Jew. You and I, I'm going to explain this. He's talking to a Jew who knew this experience. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now what is that? See, you and I don't know. Nicodemus knows that exactly. Let me explain it to you. It's told to us in the book of Deuteronomy, the 21st chapter. The people of God argued with God. They didn't like the way God did things. They don't like, just like you and I, I don't like God telling me I ought to forgive my wife. I don't like God telling me I ought to sacrifice for Laura, that I ought to die for her. I don't like God telling me that I ought to give some people a 11th and 12th and 13th chance. See, I don't like that. See? Well, the Jewish people were arguing with God. And God had put up with it. I want you to understand, God is a God of judgment. Wrath, it comes from God. And so God sent poisonous serpents amongst the Jewish people. And what would happen? People who argued with God were bit by these poisonous serpents. And you know, you get bit by a poisonous serpent, after a time you go, you die. And so, people are dying. Now listen, if you read the story, the way people argued with God is they argued with Moses. And God says, I'm not going to tolerate that. So for you people who are going to argue with Moses, you're arguing with me, you're going to get bit by the poisonous serpent. So the people who argued with Moses cried out, Moses, you've got to help us. 
We're dying. Poisonous serpent. God's judgment's on us. We need help. God, Moses prays to God. You see, because if a person's from God, they don't give up on you because you're bad. They talk to God about your bad. So Moses talks to God. And God says, I tell you what, Moses, here's what you do. It's the poisonous serpent that's causing them to die. You make a, a bronze replica of a, of a snake. And you put it on a post 60, 90 feet in the air. Way up there. And you tell anybody who gets bit by the poisonous serpent, all they got to do is turn and look. And if they will look at that poisonous serpent, because I told them to, I'm telling you to tell them, if they look at that poisonous serpent, they'll be healed. Yeah? So Moses makes a snake, puts it up there on that tall pole, so you just can't look at it like this. You've got to lift up your head. So here you go. Somebody gets bit. And they say, oh, what are we going to do? And a family member says, Moses said God said He'd spare you if you just look in faith to the poison serpent. Oh, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. How's that going to heal me? Just look. Wow! It works! Evidence? They don't die. They go out. They meet a friend. They want to throw the ball around. The friend says, man, I can't throw the ball. I'm hurting. Man, this poison's going up all down my arm. They say, hey, look at the po- Look at the brass serpent. Moses said, God said, if we'll look at that serpent, if we have the faith to lift up our head and look at it, we can be healed. Oh, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. You remember, I got bit. Oh, that's right. Two months ago you did. Remember, I was really weak and I was about to die. Yeah, I looked. Why don't you look? Okay. Ah! Now, I want to really exaggerate that, honestly. I'm not trying to just be funny. Now, I get bit and I'm a Jewish man. One of those guys come to me. I said, oh man, the wife and I and three kids have been bit. That serpent was in our house. Got us all in the evening. We're dying. Help us! Help us! Why don't anybody help us? Help us! And one of these guys come and say, I'll tell you what, I was blah, 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 blah. I told him the story. Just looked at the poison serpent. Stupidest thing I ever heard. Dumbest thing I ever heard. Why would God do it that way? God's so powerful. If He wanted me well, He'd just pop. I don't know why God does it that way. I just know God said through Moses, look at the serpent. Why don't you look at the serpent? No, I'm not going to look at the serpent. I'm not going to look at the serpent. But your family will die. I don't care. I don't care. If you would look at the serpent and you get healed, then your wife would believe. But I think it's the stupidest thing I ever heard that God works that way. You see, it's, it's the creature trying to tell the Creator how to run the universe. And I will tell you what would happen to me. Because I refuse to take the step of faith and look up because my pride says it's not the way I would do it if I was God. And see, I'm saying I'm God. I refuse to look. I die. And the sad thing is my wife dies. And then my child. And then my child. And then my child. Now Nicodemus would understand this. God never changed it from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. First book of the Bible to the last book. It's always in faith. Listening to the spiritual things God says. Even though my feet are of clay and they're tied to this earth, looking to the spiritual and finding God's deliverance, His joy by obeying Him. And there are some of you here 
who you have been encountered with the Lord Jesus Christ again and again to turn your life over Him and become a follower, and you in your pride says, I refuse to do so. And maybe you've got a mate or a friend or a family member that's told you, I'm telling you, Jesus can make the difference. And you keep saying, I refuse to believe it because God doesn't work that way. If I was God, I'd do it this way. And you see, you're the creature trying to tell the Creator what to do. And your friend, your family member, this pastor is telling you, just lift your eyes up in faith. Look to Jesus. Follow Jesus as Lord of your life. And that's what I invite you to do. I invite you today. I don't think I can make it any plainer. And you know you need Him. Because you've tried it your way and you always, oh, it works for three months, a month, or a year, but you always get back to your fall and dangers, dark self. And your mind is confused because you only want to see things from the world's perspective and you refuse in faith to see it from God's perspective. This month, Billy Graham preached what he calls, his family says, is his last sermon. And in it, he's just telling people to trust God. Billy Graham tells a story about an event in the Great Smoky Mountains. My family and I have been through the Smokies and in the Smokies many different times. It's a beautiful place to go. Well, it's just fishing and hunting. I loved it. I didn't fish and hunt there, but we'd travel through it and we'd visit it and we'd stay. But if you like that kind of stuff, you'd like the Great Smoky Mountains. Billy Graham told, told a story in the past about an experience his wife had that a man had told her about. And the experience went like this. The man told Ruth Graham that he had grown up in the Great Smoky Mountains. And they were like his backyard. He, he knew every nook and cranny. He just, he just knew them well. He never feared being in those Great Smokies. At least what he knew. But one day he found himself. He found himself disoriented. He couldn't, he couldn't catch where he was by the things he was seeing. He told Ruth Graham, he said, I was lost. And I began panicking. There in those mountains that, that for years was my playground. But for some reason, at this time in my life. And he told Ruth Graham, he just happened upon a cabin that was in that forest. And there, an old man he met. And the old man helped him. And then the old man gave him a word of advice. Now listen to this. That Ruth Graham told Billy Graham. The old man told that young man, he says, if you ever find yourself lost in the mountains and you're unfamiliar with what's happening, as hard as you try, you can't find your way. Stop going down. Everybody does that. Instead, go up and find a ridge. A ridge that will help you see the bigger picture. And help you become familiar with where you're at. Now, I tell you that story. Because there are some of you, you're lost in the mountain of life. And it's dark and it's dangerous at times. 
and you keep trying. You keep trying, but you know all you are doing is you may stop for a while, but you didn't head down again and you know it's down. And today, God is trying to tell you you need to stop. You need to stop and you need to look up. You catching the illustration from what Jesus told Nicodemus? Nick, just like the serpent in the wilderness, you need to look up, Nick. And you need to look up today, 2,000 years later. You need to look up to Jesus and you need my faith to say, Jesus, I want You to be Lord of my life. I give it up. I want You to be Lord. Forgive me of my sin. I believe You gave Your life for me. You rose from the dead for me. And I'm going to follow You. Some of you need to do that. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. It's just going to ask that. It's a prayer similar to what I prayed years ago. It's a prayer that I have prayed probably literally hundreds of times with people. Both young and old. It's prayer like I prayed. I told you last week, that man who owned that trucking business as he knelt in the rocks about 8.30 on a summer evening when the sun was setting. If Jesus Christ is not Lord of your life, You need to be born again. You need to, by faith, reach out to Jesus Christ. So I'd like everybody to just bow your heads. If you want to receive Jesus as Lord of your life, then I invite you to say these words I'm saying. You speak them to God with a voice that's in your head. Dear God in heaven, I know I need You. I am lost in my wrong choices and my sin. And I hear what You're saying right now. I need Jesus to become Lord of my life. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. I ask you to forgive me through what Jesus did on that cross. And I believe Jesus rose from the dead. And I want to rise and live for you as I follow Jesus as Lord. Thank you for the salvation you've brought into my life right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I invite you to do the very next thing Jesus said to do. I talked about it last week before I got my sermon. Jesus says we are to become a follower of His, then we are to be baptized, and then we are to give ourselves to be with people and learn the things He taught. The three things. And I invite you today to be baptized. I invite you today to say, Jesus Lord, I'm going to do the next thing. In just a little bit, some of us are going to get up and go in there. Three or four of us. To get ready for baptism. If you ask Jesus in your life today, or if you have in the past, but you've never been baptized, then I'm going to ask you, when we get up and go, 
band's going to come up here and sing a song. You go out through that door and you meet Brent Wittenbrink. And we have shorts and t-shirts, swimming trunks, t-shirts for small children to big adults. And today, today can be a great day for you if you won't let your pride hold on to the earthly understanding. And by faith, you'll follow Jesus in what He wants you to do. And if that's true, you meet Brent. He'll help you get those clothes, get you in the restroom, get you changed. He'll tell you what to do. And after we baptize these three, we'll also baptize you. Trading my pain, trading my suffering, trading my sickness for His joy. But it means following Him. Today, I invite you. We'd just like to spontaneously baptize you. Okay? So, those people who are going to be baptized, follow me. You who want to be baptized but haven't talked to me, go out there and meet Brett Witherbrink. Okay, Witherbrink.
I would say they're big enough I could have one of you join me, but they're not that big. Somebody want to, you want to put the music stand or just set it on the floor and then you can bring it back. There you go. This is a time of celebration. What we're going to see today is we're going to see people being obedient. We live in a world full of people who do not come to church and even some who come to church who refuse to be obedient. And they struggled just like Nicodemus did. Now we know if we read the rest of the Gospel of John, Nicodemus became a follower of Jesus. He made that commitment. And there's still time. If you need to be baptized, get out there, Brent. I'll talk to you. And he'll help you so you have towel and clothing. But what we're doing is a celebration. Celebration of Three people's obedience to what Jesus wants. In this world, people say, you don't need to do that. And yet Beth and Christine and Jared, as adults, usually as you become adults, you get full of pride and you even refuse more to obey Jesus. As adults, they're given a testimony that Jesus is Lord and they're going to do what they feel He wants them to do right now. And I just ask you to celebrate whenever I put one of them down and bring it out. I ask you to just applaud. So that person when they come out of the water will hear their family of God in celebration. You see, this isn't just for the person being baptized. It's for us as a body of Christ. So let's celebrate as we baptize these folks. This is Beth, Beth Rector. Move you down a little bit more. A little bit more. This is our first time, so we've got to get this right. Don't want to knock anybody out yet. <laughs> Beth shared with me that there came a day in her life. She shared a lot of words, but she shared there came a day in her life crying, tears. She cried out to God and said, God, I'm ready to let go of the reins of my life and turn them over to You. She said if she had any words to encourage you and I, it would be, do not be afraid to turn your life over to Jesus. Beth, is Jesus your Lord? Yeah, those words are precious words. On your words that Jesus is Lord of your life, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You okay?
Okay, let's go right here. This is Christine Petrie. This is something to stand in the water with Christine. Christine was in an accident just a couple of days ago. Thursday evening. Totaled her car. Glass in her body. I told her, listen, we don't have to do this now. We can do it in spring. But you see, when it's following Jesus, we often do things that don't make sense to other people. Christine became a Christian as an adult. Christine shared with me, she was so glad that the person at Connection that invited her, and that's Amanda Wheeler, that she was persistent and didn't give up. I share that with you because don't give up. Your mate, your child, your parent, even your worst enemy. Christine, is Jesus Christ Lord of your life? On your statement of Jesus Lord of your life, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Take hold. Let's go back. Okay. Your glasses. This is Jared Petrie. This is Christine's husband. I just appreciate his love for his wife as I watched his care and concern these last few days. Jared shared that he became a Christian as an adult. Because he watched the change that took place in his wife's life when she became a follower of Jesus. Jared shared, he said, don't be afraid of Jesus' words because they can help you. Jared, is Jesus Christ Lord of your life? Yes, he is. Upon your words that Jesus is your Lord, I'll baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is always an exciting time as a pastor to watch people follow the will of God. Especially when it comes to their pride versus what God wants. My words to you before I have a word of prayer is that you would evaluate your own thought process. And in your intellect, if you're struggling with God based upon your thoughts versus what He says, 
that you just let go and you look up and you do what the Lord Jesus has asked you to do. Would you bow with me as I pray? Father, I thank You for these three people. I thank You for their faith. I thank You for their commitment. And I pray that You help us as connection people that we would be supportive and loving and forgiving and caring. God, that we would not be like institutions in this world that are only receptive to people who, who do not disappoint. But that, Father, we would be a church that would be so receptive to the needs and the lives of people. God, help us. This church is not this building. God, help us. This church is not these walls. God, help us. We, the church, the people, to follow Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen.